Hey, thanks for joining us as we continue through the Gospel of Luke um, into a wonderful section today as we continue in the 15th chapter. Uh, this entire chapter is really dedicated to three parables. One of them is over half, but the first one is one of the most beloved images, I guess. I don't think we necessarily get the image from the parable, but it certainly ties into that. Let me read a few verses here, and then we'll come back and discuss it, starting here in verse 3 of chapter 15. So Jesus told them a parable. Which one of you, having a hundred sheep and losing one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the wilderness and go after the one that is lost until he finds it? When he's found it, he lays it on his shoulder and rejoices. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors and says to them, Rejoice with me, for I found my sheep that was lost. Just so, I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over ninety-nine righteous persons who need no repentance." So this image of the kind of the good shepherd we've often called that lay behind this text, and um, th- th- it is such a it is such a deep meaningful picture in Scripture of Jesus, and we get a sense here how out of step that is. We're comfortable with that language. We're comfortable with that picture. Many of us grew up with that picture of Jesus and the lamb on his shoulders in church, on the hallway somewhere, or maybe even in our homes. But when you read this parable, it stands out that when Jesus says, which of you wouldn't do this, the answer is most. No shepherd is going to leave 99 sheep in the wilderness, and that's the word here, wilderness, to go chase after one. You're not going to leave 99 vulnerable to go find the one who is wayward. And yet the good shepherd does. Not only that, but rather than complain about the lost sheep, he brings it home rejoicing, calling friends and saying, hey, I found a sheep that was lost. Rejoice with me. And I I think the first thing we have to to let happen, Michael, if we're going to understand this short parable, is let the oddness of it land on us and and really understand how different the picture Jesus paints is from the reality that we most often know. So the context helps us there, Clint. We want to look at a verse like 1 and 2, which we covered yesterday as we sort of set up this larger theme of lost in the Gospel of Luke. And remember, the Pharisees and scribes are grumbling. They're they're literally grumbling about Jesus eating with sinners and tax collectors. And and when Jesus gives this parable, it is abundantly clear that Jesus' point in this context is to say that you all are focused on the source of power, the 99, the the main stream, right? But what Jesus cares about, what his heart breaks for, what he seeks out is the one who is lost. And this is a description, understanding, telling of the kingdom of God. This is what the shepherd has come to do. And, and Clint, you're exactly right. The idea here that if we have the eyes and ears to he- hear it, we will see in a text like this how different Jesus is from the other religious leaders of his own day, that this is the distinguishing characteristic of who God is, that he's willing to pursue the one lost 
for the sake of that loss and then rejoice upon its retrieval instead of in many ways just leaving that one out to go for the power of the whole. Yeah, and I can't help but think that at some level the the Pharisees and scribes are thinking none of us. None right. of, nobody would do this. Nobody does that. No, this is not how anyone acts. And and that's part of the power, not of the story itself, but of the one who is telling the story. And so the, the gospel, and particularly the gospel of Luke, we've said this many times, just has this bent toward those at the bottom, those on the side, those outside of the norm and outside of the tradition, just those who are hurting, those who are poor, and, and we see it here. And so the, I think, you know, the point we're trying to make here, Michael, is is the same. That The first thing that should hit us in this parable is to stop and be amazed by the shepherd. Now then, having seen that, we get to the commentary Jesus leaves on the passage. Just so I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than 99 who need no repentance. And again, keep in mind, Jesus isn't teaching theology here. Jesus isn't saying there are some people who don't need to repent. It, it, you can't do those things with the text. That's not the point. The point is that the Pharisees and the scribes they're so concerned about pe- keeping people inside the fences that they've lost compassion for those who live on the outside of the fence. They're, they're not chasing them down. They're not hunting them down. Not only that, they're not rejoicing when they can come back. And Jesus is living proof of that. The, the sinners and tax collectors are flocking, literally flocking to Jesus. And all the Pharisees see is the, is the reality that they're sinners. There, there's no joy in them for the person who repents. And, you know, this is, this has been a struggle, I think, Michael, in the Christian church, because we emphasize regularly within the faith that we try to live a certain way, that we try to have a righteous approach to life, that we try to do the right thing. And sometimes we get fixated on that and it leaves us struggling with those who don't. And we don't always we don't always show a graciousness for those who have been lost. I've, I've been in churches where people have come back after years away, and, you know, they're greeted with words like, oh, what are you doing here? And it, it's not that we mean to be offensive. It's just sometimes those of us who are trying to do it right don't always know what to do with those who don't seem to be trying very hard. And I, I think Jesus gives us a real challenge here to try and live up to this idea of the good shepherd. Yeah, and I actually think that we aren't going to be able to flesh this out fully in this conversation. Join us when we get to the parable of the lost son or the parable of the older brother, or the parable of the waiting father, whichever you're going to want to call it. It is one of the seminal parables of Jesus. It's coming around the bend. The reason I mention that is to say, pay close attention here to this movement at, in verse 7. There will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99. And imagine how that lands 
on these scribes and Pharisees. Imagine how that's received by the people who firmly count themselves as the ones in the 99. This is obviously affronting. This is unfair. This is not reflective of all of their time and effort and work. And already in this first parable, short and simple as it is, Jesus makes it clear that in the kingdom of God, the one who didn't deserve to get rescued is not only rescued, but then a source of joy. And that, if you put yourself in the shoes of the 99 sheep, however you want to say that, Clint, if you put yourself from the perspective of those 99, that's unfair. And it's rather a source of grumbling and complaining because you had to go out, the the shepherd had to leave them to go out and to find this wayward one. And the reality is this upsets that entire framework. And that's going to be seen. My point is that that's going to be seen night and day, clear as day. Once we get to these further parables, Jesus is laying a framework that's going to get built upon as we go. Yeah, there's no question that Luke is organizing this chapter for a reason. But having said that, when we get to the end of the last parable, it would be worth revisiting this parable because it does inform the idea when when Jesus essentially says to the Pharisees, look, God is more pleased that the tax collector came here than he is that you are. It, 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 that's not a judgment. That's not what it sounds. It is an indictment on those who cannot rejoice in the salvation of others, who cannot rejoice in the being found um, for those who were who were lost. And so um, if we remember, there'll be a lot in that parable to do on its own, but if we remember, we will circle back because I think that helps. The, the next short parable is a continuation of the same theme. Just a couple verses here. Verse 8. Or what woman, having ten silver coins, if she loses one, doesn't light a lamp, sweep the house, and search carefully until she finds it? When she's found it, she calls together her friends and her neighbors and says, Rejoice with me, for I have found the coin that I had lost. Just so, I tell you, there is joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents." Um, in in other places, Jesus said, you know, it's the sick who need a doctor. And here we have that idea. It's the lost who need to be found. And, and the idea that heaven rejoices when a sinner comes back to the fold, when a lost sheep returns to the flock, there is rejoicing, that that pleases the heart of God, that it causes celebration in heaven. Now, what about those who don't leave? We're going to cover that in the next parable. But this is about, can we rejoice for those who were lost when they become found? Can we look past their lostness? Can we look past their status as sinners? Can we look past whatever it was that took them away? And can we simply feel the joy of heaven when they come back to us? And that is not easy to do. but it is important to do, and certainly Luke holds it up as a triumph of the faith. Yeah, and that's explicit in the text. I just want to point out verse 6, Rejoice with me, for I found the sheep that was lost. And then we come over here uh, to verse 9, Rejoice with me, for I have found the coin that I have lost. And this is 
fundamentally the thing set against what the scribes and Pharisees were doing, Clint. They were grumbling and complaining. Jesus is calling them to a life of rejoicing. And anyone who has been in the faith for some time knows that the only proper response to God's work in the world is gratitude, and gratitude is the only sure foundation for joy and rejoicing. And so the gratefulness that we find in that one sheep being rescued out of the hundred— and then you've got the, the the coin, the one in 10 that has been found. Well, yeah, you did have 90%, but now that last one has been found and reunited. That uh, instills within us, inspires with us, moves from within us to give us a spirit of joy and rejoicing. Again, it, this is a beautiful gift that we've received. It's not just the thing unto itself. And that's what's so clear is this is not Jesus saying, Messy people find the stuff that are, is lost. This isn't just like, well, now 90% becomes 100%. No, this is about when the lost is found, it creates joy, and that is what God's response is. And so, therefore, that's a teaching of how we're supposed to live. We are supposed to live as those who rejoice. We're supposed to be those whose lives are marked by joy at every stage, and, and that's the call that we're given and it's sobering because that's a call that the scribes, Pharisees, were unable to meet. Jesus is critiquing them through these parables. And so we have to be careful of that, per your previous point. As we read this in the church, the religious tradition of today, we have to be careful that it instills within us a spirit of joy and not grumbling and complaining. It would be curious to know if Luke ever thought about switching the places of the second and third parable. I think the parable of the lost coin is the easiest one here because the coin gets lost. It doesn't yeah, right. it doesn't go off on its own. We all have that experience of losing something. But but the sheep introduces that idea of agency. The sheep leaves the flock. The sheep goes off in and gets lost, um, walks away, kind of deserves it in some sense. And that really introduces the idea of separation. And what Luke is going to do with that, when we get back together next Monday, what Luke is going to do with that is to weave that theme into a very, um, in some ways, a, a far-fetched story, but a very relatable story ab about relationships and what it looks like to be lost, what it looks like to be found, and what it looks like to choose whether to rejoice or not. And I think um, if you can join us next week, I think that it provides most of the power of this chapter, certainly a wonderful foundation for the two parables we've already looked at. You know, Clint, one of the really interesting things that comes, and I think this is really clearly seen in that first parable, is that there's no motivation given to why the shepherd goes and looks for that sheep. It's not that that sheep was his favorite or that sheep was most desirable for its coat or anything like that. No, the shepherd goes and finds it because it needs to be found. Mm -hmm. And that is the kind of selflessness that is portrayed by these parables. It, it's not that there's something of merit, there's nothing deserved. It's simply that the owner of the coin and the shepherd of the sheep decides that that thing is worth pursuing and will go and do it. Their payoff is the joy and rejoicing that, by the way, 
abundantly flows over when they invite other people to rejoice with them. That, that It's contagious. And I think that's the amazing aspect of this story is because it's not about what the shepherd or the woman gets out of it. It's rather what they receive through it. And it's more than just what they found. And that's the astonishing and amazing thing. If you've ever had that experience, just to try and make this practical, if you've ever lost a, a wallet, uh, car keys, a purse, if you've ever lost something that you had to find and then found it, you know something of that sense of relief, that sense of joy. Um, you call the restaurant and yes, somebody turned it in or yes, somebody found it in the parking lot. What, whatever that is for you, we've all had that kind of experience. And, and to think of that as a spiritual story, to think of what it means that the shepherds counts and sees a missing sheep and searches for it. And when it is back where it needs to be, when it is back where it belongs, when the coin is restored or the flock is restored or the sinner is restored, that that sense of joy, that sense of relief. Um, again, hold on to that if you can, because in the next story, I think while, while Luke introduces the concept here, that's palpable in the way that he tells the parable of the prodigal son. So um, some of this is set up. I hope you can be with us as we unpack that parable, because it may be it may be Luke's best parable. On the day that we're recording this, uh, we're just right on the cusp of the Thanksgiving holiday here in the United States. And I think, Clint, that it's striking to just note that rejoicing and joy is not rooted to the stuff that we make up or that we find in our life that we can say we're grateful for. It, it's striking. We are all the one. I mean, that will clearly be the point coming down the road mm. theologically, that we're, we're all the ones who have been pursued by God. And, and that is the source of rejoicing. And it's so good, it's contagious and spills out from outside of God's joy, that the, that the joy of God at the lost being found just ripples through the universe. And that is the kind of thanksgiving, that's the source of thanksgiving for any person of faith. And, and I think there's a beautiful way to talk about it. It's a beautiful way to understand it. A, a child can understand these lessons, and it moves us to remember that our calling is to be like God, rejoicing over the lost being restored. Yeah, I I don't want to give away anything that I want to say next week. I will just preface that by saying there's more than one way to be lost. Well, then you better come back next week. Hope you have a wonderful Thanksgiving. We will see you next week. Thanks, everybody.